This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock, guiding leaders to higher ground. Learn more at MarketplaceRock.com. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. Today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we have Mandy Ariato. Mandy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you here too because I was just sharing with you a little bit before we started. Um, I was in the middle of my crazy entrepreneur journey. I was working 80 to 90 hours a week and we had moved from San Diego to Minneapolis. We had two very young boys, preschoolers. And, you know, one of the things that just was a blessing to my wife and and in turn was a blessing to me was being able to plug into this organization called MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers, where she was able to make make incredible relationships. Our kids were, you know, they were able to have fun also. But I think for Donna, it was just a huge part of, you know, this new life because it's sometimes hard to make friends when you move into a new area. So when a good friend of mine reached out to me and said, hey, you know, Mandy Ariato was just named the new CEO of MOPS. She's got this huge dream, this mission on her heart. Would you love to? Ha- would you like to have her on the podcast? I said absolutely. So, Mandy, thank you for making the time and for what you're doing right now. Oh, thank you. I love hearing stories like that. So it's just so incredible to hear a real life example of how Mops is impacting families. Yeah, and I think I don't know if a lot of people know about it, but before we get there, I'd love for you to just take some time and let let the audience get to know you. Just share a little bit about your journey, some of the highs and lows as you've kind of you know gotten to where you're at today. Yeah, so um, right out of college, I was pastoring a church. Um, it was a church in San Diego, and I worked there for a couple of years, and then got pregnant and stayed home with my kiddos for a couple years after that. Um, And then really felt called to jump back into the workforce and um, joined a team at MSN working on a bunch of their digital content and social media and SEO platforms. And- um, Okay, now hold on a second. You you were um, pastoring a church and then you were a full-time mom and then you jump right out at MSN in the whole digital world and SEO. You got to tell me a little bit about what happened there. Yeah, right. Um, so I've had the most eclectic and circuitous professional career, and I owe it all to my friends. Anything cool that I've gotten the chance to do is because in some capacity. And it's also because I'm a little bit gutsy, and I think I can do things even if I've never done it before. And so... Um, yeah, I had a friend who worked there, and she recommended me, and they were willing to take a chance on me, and it was a tremendous learning experience. So I was at MSN for about three years, and while I was working there, decided to help plant a church in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge church in LA called Mego Campus, and so Joe and I, my husband and I, jumped in, and um, I was one of the teaching pastors there for a lot now, of years. Now, people don't realize this if they've never been part of it, but a church plant, it takes it, it takes a lot of work, doesn't it? It does, mm-hmm. and it's all-consuming. Um, we planted the church in a really eclectic part of San Diego. It was in um, a lower was socioeconomic area, and so we... Well, now, where's Barrio Logan? Uh, 
I used to live in so, Pacific Beach and Scripps Ranch when I when we were stationed out there. Okay, um, just south of downtown mm-hmm. and west. So, so that, southwest. Is that kind of a that's uh, kind of a, a lower income neighborhood. Okay. Yep. Yes, it was at the time. It was mm-hmm. like becoming, you know, the up and coming had to be in. So we had college students and homeless who showed up and it grew really rapidly and I loved, loved everything that we got mm. to do there. About three years in after planning the church, I got a call from this organization called MOPS. And I had been a MOPS mom about five years before that. But MOPS called me up and asked if I would come out and be their director of marketing. And I turned we love what we're doing. You know, we love this church that we're a part of. My, my family's here in San Diego. And the night after I turned it down, I woke up in the middle of the night. And it sounds super cheesy to say this, but I woke up and felt like God very audibly said, Mandy, you guys need to pack up and you need to go and you need to take this job at MOPS. And so nine days later, Joe and I and our kids and our dog were driving away from our house. We are going to land. We didn't have a house in Denver. We didn't have any plans sorted out. So as we drove out, Joe was on the phone trying to call rental properties. That was a Thursday. Wait, so you're calling, you're on the, on the road driving here, calling and saying like you like this was not, like answering a call like it's time to go. So you're like pack up, go figure it out on the way. Wow. Yep, we knew that God was like pick up and guns. Um, we found a place as we drove out. We pulled in on Saturday, and I started work at Mops on Monday. Wow. So, you know, that transition, if you look back on that era, that that little, you know, period of time, what are some things that you really noticed with you and Joe, um, you know, whether it was just spiritually, physically, emotionally, you know, as you just made that step out on faith? I think it's like you want, you know what God is calling you to do, and it's scary, and it's heartbreaking. Because... Leaving San Diego was leaving friends and family and jobs we loved and people we loved and going somewhere totally unknown, like into one. For us, it felt like the wilderness, right? We were getting called into the wilderness somewhere. We didn't have any friends. Um, We had no roots, no established norms. Terrifying, and yet there was this deep trust that wherever God was leading us was um, exactly where we wanted to be. So there's some reassurance in there, but to be perfectly honest, like I cried my eyes out the whole drive out. So I'm no model of faith by any means, but um, the story of our lives has really been when we hear God tell us to do something we want to Now you get here. So what happens here when you, what was it about mops that made that was so aligned with what you felt you were called to do that you were willing to just pick up and move and cry all the way here and make phone calls to try to find a place to live while you're en route? I think it comes back to my own mops experience, right? So I sat around a table with women 
And that table became the safest place in the world for me to talk about the things that were closest to my heart. And around that table, I saw women adopt kids because of a speaker they heard the week before, or I saw women uh, navigate substance abuse with their husbands. I saw kids or women navigate hard things with their kids around that table. And it was this community of people who could talk about faith and a mom and a wife. Um, and I firsthand recognize the power of what happens when women come together and share life together. And so when they invited me to come out, um, I knew the power of resourcing women well. And MOPS is in 40 countries around the world. We serve mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of women every year. It's an honor to, to know that the details of my day matter for generations to come. And so that's what really drew me to MOPS. And so I worked at MOPS for three years as a director of marketing, and then just six months ago became president well, and CEO. Congratulations. Well, yeah. Now, every time I've made some big pivots in my life, um, there's always been those people that don't understand the decisions that maybe we're making and why we're making them. And so we have critics in our life, and some of those are people close to us. And I'm just wondering, did you have critics that, you know, as you made this journey, and, and how, how did you guys deal with them? You know what, I'll, I'll tell you that my, my critics have actually really? come after. After, yeah. So a lot of people cheered us on as we left, um, knowing that we were following this call. And I know people think we're a little bit crazy sometimes, that we're with you or for you. The critics have come since I've been in this role. And I think it's fascinating to consider our cultural climate because even from five years ago, there is this willingness to express ourselves not only online, um, but on social media and say things organizations that we would never ever say in person if we had to look someone in the eye and so it has been a great lesson for me to let both praise and criticism kind of just fall away because neither really matter and um, really focus on getting to work and doing the work that God has given me and our organization mm -hmm. to do the holy sacred work that to spend our lives for people who don't understand our mission in the world. Well, you know, there's some great lessons there too, right? You're really focusing on, you know, what God's called you to do, what you're passionate about, what you've been called to do. And I think, you know, as we mature in our relationship with Jesus, and our identity here comes from that relationship versus the world, you know, the critics and the praisers, um, in the world, you know, it, 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 I don't know, it doesn't have the impact because we know the true source, that true relationship. Does that make sense? So good. So true. Yeah. So that is a great yeah. lesson, I think, you know, for people out there. Now, you know, as CEO, you're now leading a multinational organization that has this incredible mission. I'd love for you to share a little bit about, you know, things that you're doing as a leader, you know, working with your team that you think is um, really been effective. 
Yeah, so we have a couple things at MOPS that we've really been focusing on over the past couple of months, and we've seen a big shift in our in our organizational culture because of it. Um, a mentor of mine once told me, right as I was jumping into this new role, that the most important thing I can mm, give my team is my totally energy. Agree. How do you do that? So I was like... Yeah, so for me, it's really structuring my morning well. And I have, there's a blunt, and it's, it uh, walks you through three things you're grateful for, th- three things you want to focus on during the day, and then at night you do it before bed again, and you kind of regroup and relook at your day and look at the things you've accomplished. But it's such a great way to focus in the morning. And then I have made a point of spending at least 20 minutes kneeling by the side of my bed in prayer, which is not an easy thing to carve out in my morning when I'm getting, has become essential in my morning routine, um, just to kind of set the tone for the day. It sounds like that morning routine has a huge impact on how you're showing up with your team. So you're ready to give that energy. Mm -hmm. Totally. Not only with my Mm. team, even with my family too. So at the end of the day, when I come home, you know, how am I coming home? How am I being, what kind of energy am I bringing for my family as well? So it's really, it's really recognizing that the tone for how the day goes in the organization. So that's been really insightful for me to recognize. And then this other thing we do at MOPS is at the beginning of every meeting we have, we call a huddle and say, hey, you know, what kind of energy are you bringing to this meeting? And it helps just people to recognize, okay, I'm going to focus in even if I'm distracted or feeling angry or feeling frustrated or excited about something else. I'm going to focus in on the task before calibrate and get everyone heading in the same direction. Do you ever get team members say, you know what, I'm not, I'm showing up not in a good place and I need some help to kind of, you know, you guys, I need some help from the team here to kind of get me back to a good place so I can be, you know, additive here? Definitely. Yeah. And I think honesty is the best thing we can offer too. is just to say, hey, this is like, I'm struggling in this moment. And then we can either be super grace, you know, show grace to each other and struggling in the moment or in some way, walk them through and help them to get into a better spot. Well, I think that's so powerful because, you know, a lot of teams, it sounds like you've built a team that's really built, built on true relationships, which then engenders trust and when you have a team that really trusts each other they can be vulnerable i uh, i think people underestimate how powerful that is in creating a group that can accomplish just incredible things yeah i think we can go so much farther when we're all on the same team and there's a really high level of trust and that means having honest hard conversations i think that is such a gift to each other i think too often we shy away from it and get nervous about it, but I we are huge fans of hard yeah. conversations around well, I, here. Yeah, I call them crucial conversations. There's a great book called Crucial Conversations that I yeah. I recommend often to people uh, to have these things. You know, and something else you wrote on here, Mandy, um, about you know things to talk about with what you're doing at leading is having higher expectations for others than they have for themselves, and I think. You know, one of the key roles of a leader is not only casting vision, but how do we serve other people? And I think how we serve them is we see that potential in them that they don't yet realize. And then we take that time to teach, train, and equip them into 
uh, in understanding of what their unique value is, how to bring that out for the team in their life outside of what they're doing for work. And how have you been doing that with people? Yeah, this was actually modeled to me by so many people in my life who set the bar higher than I ever thought it could be set. And so we just work really hard at empowering every single person who works here to believe that they have way more potential than thought. And so that um, translates into giving them decision-making abilities and helping them feel empowered to handle service calls in unique ways that maybe they've never been empowered to before. And so we just really set the bar high. And it's fascinating. I think the same thing happens with our kids. People rise to the occasion when we, when we let them. What do you think, Mandy, it takes to truly empower somebody? I think one, it's trust that they're capable Mm -hmm. of it. Two, it's giving them the freedom to do it differently than I would. And, you know, you said, uh, you know, people should not be ever surprised by performance conversations. Is that because you're, you have such an open dialogue with people, the feedback is constantly there, so they actually know where they, they stand at all times. They're not guessing. Exactly. I think ongoing conversation and honest feedback in the moment is way more helpful than letting things build up for three months and then suddenly they're shocked by it. So I personally would rather know in the moment, like, hey, I'm not okay with this. I'm not happy with this. Your performance isn't up to par than waiting three three months and being super embarrassed because everyone... Yeah, one of the things, you know, I am not a fan of like an annual review. I think that is demotivating to people. And most people think it's just, mm-hmm. you know, an exercise they have to go through. What what we do in our companies and, you know, the way when, when I'm working in a, in a client company, you know, is if you sit down and work with each individual and you look at, you know, their potential, you look at their strengths and how do we empower them and really bring that out. And you set very meaningful goals to them personally, how they're interacting with the team, how that um, relates to the, you know, the goals that say the organization. So for mobs, and what I always did is I sat down with each of my direct reports every two weeks and they, they showed up with the agenda. Part of that agenda, the expectation is we're going to cover, you know, what progress they're making on those goals. And so they were constantly getting feedback, reinforcement. We were finding out where they were struggling, what resources they might need, you know, both maybe personal equipping or, you know, in the organization. So everybody... I, I got to tell you, when a team always knows where they stand, they're getting that feedback. And I think this is especially important for companies that have, you know, millennials as part of the workforce. That component is is just critical for them to, you know, just be enjoying their job and not wondering, you know, is this really the place that I even want to be at? Definitely. Did you do anything with personalities into your training interaction at all you know we sure did um we have i always have people take the strength finders because i think it's just you know mm-hmm. what you talked about it's really important to, be- to develop those authentic trusting relationships and you only can do that if you really understand the people you're working with and, and so let's say taking mm-hmm. the strength finder and then and then having a team meeting where people share 
um, their top couple strengths and like, oh, that's why Mandy does that. Um, or that's why she reacts this way in this situation. Or, you know what, she's struggling with this because, my goodness, what we're having her do is not one of her strengths at all. So she's really having to, you know, really work hard in this area because it's not really a, an area of gifting. And I think um, using that as a way to not only um, be a foundation of setting those, those goals that are unique to each person, but also using it as a tool to develop stronger and deeper relationships among the team as they understand people and kind of how they're wired or, you know, really from our perspective, right? How did God wire them and how do we, you know, use that in a way that's just um, additive to what everybody's doing? I love that. That's so great. And it gives everyone a yeah, common language exactly. too, right? So there's this common bond, this common language that we can all use. And it, yeah, you know what? It's interesting that's great. I love that. At, um, strength finders, if you kind of go a level deeper, there's, you know, there's kind of a spectrum of give of strengths that are really from really strategic thinking to very operational mm -hmm. and detail oriented. And if you have some people on an entire team and everybody's a strategic thinker, which means that they're probably all going to be struggling with a lot of the details, you know, op you know, getting things done, managing processes. Um, it actually can, everybody can come to their own conclusion that, you know what, we, we need to maybe pull somebody in here or move this person over to do a little different work in this area. And it's great to have those conversations where the team really also starts having a conversation about role clarity. What, you know, what are my strengths? What is my role? And what, you know, what can everybody expect of me? What can you hold me accountable to? Now, there's always going to be parts of that, right? I mean, things just, especially if a smaller team, things just have to get done. So I'm not always going to be able to work in my area of strengths. But if we can maximize that, it can really have meaningful results in an organization. That's so great. Would you hire based on strengths? Would you intentionally look for specific attributes that yeah, you need? I hire based on people's personality, um, their mindset, you know, how they address and think about situations. Um, uh, you know, cause strengths are different than skill sets. I, I'm, I've always been of the belief that I can probably teach you a skill set within any skill set within six months, as long as your strengths, your, your gifting are in alignment with you doing well in that area. So I hire based on the person and their fit with the culture, because I really think that that is some of the most important things that we can focus on. Uh, because if I bring somebody in who is, because, I don't know, here's kind of how I think about it. You have this, you know, core people that are just totally passionate about the mission. And then you have people that are, you know, if you kind of, if you think of a bullseye, that next ring out or what I, people I call their lean inners. They're, they're bought into the, um, the, the culture, they're bought into the mission, uh, but they're really working at developing themselves. And then that next ring out is what I call lean outers. And these are people that really don't fit with the culture or maybe they're in a position that's been really challenging to find a, a role that really fits with who they are. And so when I, when I hire, I really wanna hire somebody that I really think can just be part of that core team, you know, even if they're the most junior person or they're somebody at a CEO level, but they can, you know, they can fit right in there and it just, our company feels like home to them. Mm 
That's so great. I'm a huge believer in culture too. I totally agree. Now, you, now we just talked a little bit about you know authentic relationships, and I, and I get the sense that that is something very important to you. What, what are your thoughts on just authenticity, which means you know be, just being able to be yourself without any masks or filters on? Yeah, I'm a big believer in authenticity. And I think over the past couple of years, the idea of authenticity has taken like this really weird angle where we are afraid. Uh, well, I, I would say we're authentic in some, some, I think that if I am striving to be better in a certain area, that I am being authentic only when I am honest about my misgivings or the ways I mess up or the things that are I'm not super proud of. And I think sometimes we need to reframe that and get authentic about the person we want to be. Like, let's be more loyal to the person we are becoming than the what it means to become more like Christ mm. is on those attributes of who we are becoming. And... Uh, and not dwell so much in the the messy, ugly parts of of authenticity. And I'm all for like saying out loud the things that I'm struggling with or or dealing with. But then I'm looking forward to the person who I am becoming. And so then uh, then the past, then the ugliness, then the mess. Mm. Well, I hope as people listen to this, you know, what you're sharing, this is such um, such a great way to lead. I, I believe this is how Jesus led. You know, in our whole, you know, our focus here is developing leaders that we call lead beyond influence, right? If you think of leadership as if you have influence mm -hmm. over just one or more people, you're in a leadership role. Absolutely. But how do you lead in a way that so equips and empowers that person that you're working with that they can have a positive impact in, in a sphere of influence that you don't even have any influence in yourself, right? It could be, you know, if in a large organization, a team that you don't regularly interact with, it could be back at their family, their church, their ministry. And that's what you're talking about. How do you really work with people in a way that's lifting them up um, in all parts of their life. And I think that that's how you create an organization that's engaged, uh, that's just tapping into their creativity, their innovation, they're working together. And that's also when an organization is healthy in that regard, when the winds of adversity do come and they always come in business, we're prepared to get through it because we're starting from a healthy place. And, and then I think you can handle and tackle anything that comes at you as, as you know, the, as life happens. Definitely. Definitely. Now, if we were talking uh, like a year from now from mops, from a perspective of mops and we were just catching up over a cup of coffee and what would we be talking about? What is, what is, what's on the plate for you guys? Yeah. So we have a huge goal over the next five wow, years of awesome. reaching a million moms. So that will, yeah, we're super excited about it. And here's the thing, there's 2 billion moms. So there are a ton of moms who need hope and know about Jesus to be better resourced in raising their kids. And so it's just a huge initiative that we are looking at, and we're so excited about it. Up until now, MOPS has been 
an organization that was really good at a specific niche. And so we are broadening our horizons and really creating swaps, whether she lives in the city or the suburbs or in a rural area, whether she lives in China or Africa. We have groups that just started in a prison. So we have moms in prison who are meeting as a MOPS group, which is just incredible. And um, we just had a, a group start in a hut in Africa. So it's incredible to see that moms are coming together and talking about Jesus and talking about the heart. I'm just so excited to see how God's moving. So Mandy, if people out there listening aren't really familiar with MOPS, could you share a little bit about um, what MOPS is? Yeah, so MOPS is a 40-year-old organization that started in Denver, Colorado by a handful of women who decided that they needed a place to come together to make friends, to learn new parenting techniques, to feel better equipped, a safe place to talk about faith. And so we cultivate groups all over the world. We are in 5,000 churches in the United States. And we just welcome every woman to come and a group meets. They usually have some type of food and have a conversation about parenting or faith or marriage or self-care. And it's just a really safe space to make friends and to take that so next step. find out more and maybe also find out where to find a, a MOPS group near them or if they want to start one, how would they do that? Yeah, you can find all that info at mops.org. That's M-O-P-S, right? Mothers of Preschoolers. Yes, and let's just acknowledge that that yeah. is a super weird name, and I almost show up at a mops group because I was like, uh, I don't know, that's really lame. But, um, yeah, it's a <laughs> funny name, great cause. So M-O-P-S, org. <laughs> so how, how do you define preschooler? Like what age is that? Infant to, what, five, six years old? <laughs> Yeah, to kindergarten. Yep. And then we also have Moms Next, which is for every mom. So we really do have something for every single every single mom. Now, because I know my wife loved it when our kids were younger. I think actually as they outgrew it, and then we moved here, I think she, she definitely missed um, the group that she'd been meeting with back in Minnesota for so long. And, you know, And so as we wrap up, Mandy, what are just some final thoughts you'd like to leave with people listening to this all over the world? So I've been reading in Jeremiah one lately, and this passage really struck me, and I think it's for all of us who lead and who occasionally question if we have what it takes to be one of God's people, one of God's um, influencers in the world. And so in Jeremiah 1, it says, I don't know anything. I'm only a boy. God told me, don't say I'm only a boy. I'll tell you where to go, and you'll go there. I'll tell you what to say and you'll say it. Don't be afraid of a soul. I'll be right there looking after you. That's God's decree. And then God reached out and touched Jeremiah's mouth and said, look, I've put my words in your mouth. They are hand delivered. See what I've done. I've given you a job to do. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but there are days where I wake up and I'm like, I am smart enough. I don't have the right words. And I think what God says to us is he takes our I am only feelings, where Jeremiah says, I'm only a boy. He takes our I am only feelings of inadequacy and replaces them with these facts. He says, don't say I am only. 
It will tell you where to go. It will tell you what to say. Don't be afraid of anyone or anything. I'm right here looking after you. I have given you a job. That is beautiful. That is such a great reminder. Um, because I think we've all felt that way. And you know what? I'd be remiss too, because you've written, uh, written, written, written an amazing book called Starry Eyed, Seeking Grace in the Unfolding Constellation of Life and Motherhood. So as we wrap up, maybe you can let people know a little bit about what your book's about and where to also find it and get it. Yeah, so Starry Eyed can be found wherever books are sold. Out searching out glimmers of light when life feels dark and overwhelming, which go through seasons of that occasionally and so really it's just a acknowledgement of there is hope when things feel hard or we don't know our next step. I think hope is so, so powerful you know as I recovered from my accident for a very long period of time um, sometimes just even getting through the next five minutes for me was a challenge but it was always that hope that God had a plan there was something better there was meaning in all this that helps you just take that next small step forward while keeping, you know, your, your attitude um, focused on, you know, being grateful. Because I, I found when you do that, mm. you can get through very challenging situations without moving into that mindset of despair or a victim or overwhelm. And because that, that leads to a place that's really... It's a challenging place. We've probably all been there, and I don't. And and I didn't want to ever go there. And that's in that hope, which yeah. came from that fullness of that relationship with Jesus for me, was just so. It made all the difference in my journey. That's huge. I'm actually wearing a key around my neck that has the word grateful on it. So I totally second that. I think when we find gratitude in even the smallest moments is where Jesus... Well, awesome. Is there anything, you know, if there's anything at all our whole community can do for you as you have your big goals with, with MOPS, uh, please let us know. We'd love to be part of that. And I'd really encourage people, especially the, you know, the, if there's men out there listening and you're married and your, your wife, whether she's, you know, w working or she's home with the kids, um, it's uh, MOPS is just an incredible place to just plug in and develop you know meaningful relationships you know be you know get served and supported forward um so i love what you guys are doing god bless you guys i wish you all the luck and uh, and thank you for your time this was just a wonderful conversation mandy thanks so much i'm so honored to have spent time with you, you. are welcome thank you. thank you have a great day you too Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. As I said at the top, this edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock. Is there something that feels like it's blocking your business? The team at Marketplace Rock partners with you in unearthing those things that could be holding you back through intercessory prayer. John and I can't recommend the team highly enough. In fact, our phone calls with them are the highlight of our week. Visit them online, marketplacerock.com, or listen to either of Amy Everett's past interviews with us. Episodes 4 and 66, marketplacerock.com. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. <laughs>